0: Sing glory! Today we're sitting down with Kitty Travers, founder of Lagrata Ices, teacher at the School of Artisan Food, and someone who'll put your childhood frozen treats to shame. Now I realize that releasing an episode all about ice cream in October may not seem like the most dull thing to do, but it is. Once that ice creams are seasonal, local, and this month's flavors happen to be bergamot cream, rye rum, raisin and Nectarine Divinia, Vania, excuse my pronunciation. Anyway, from London to New York and back again, with many Italian layovers in between, I can't think of a better way than to rein in the season's chill with a few well-deserved scoops of Brain Freeze, Ella Kitty. She operates from out of her ice cream shed, macerating, steeping, churning out ice creams that taste of an ecosystem in its entirety provoked by the use of whole foods, the pits, and the leaves, the unapologetic value of fats, and smatterings of herbs. Hint, tomatoes and seaweeds have a place in these palates, too. Attention all earbuds on how to serve with intention, navigating the taste buds of children all too easily bedazzled by branding, and how beyond what turns up on your plate, the farmer's market makes for a place of human connection and presence. This is... Freshly churned with Kitty Travers. A quick heads up. We're dealing with an overseas conversation here. So the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from London, UK and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Oh God,
1: that's a deep one. <laughs> Early <goes> morning <laughs> To the deep end. Um, oh, well, in terms, um, mm, mm, hang on a second. Let me think. I mean, in a way, I was always, I suppose I was quite greedy as a child. Um, and I loved, it was a funny one. I mean, I, I definitely, I think I was quite greedy. I can't even remember now. But then I kind of got way, I got, and I was interested, was I interested in food? I had a funny time when I was little growing up with food because we, funnily enough, were quite hard up as a family. And so uh, there wasn't, um, we didn't have kind of treats and we didn't, I mean, like very occasionally, but we didn't have kind of gorgeous food when we were little and loads of lovely stuff. It was very much kind of like a weekly supermarket shop very very basic ingredients and then they were sort of kept out of reach so I I enjoyed cooking but you know it's not compared to my life now where I have you know surround myself and with gorgeous ingredients to use it was quite sparse I suppose but um when I when I was growing up I got a bit way laid and I had lots of other ideas about things that I thought I would do when I was older and kind of plans. You know, I had some crazy ideas. I wanted to have a nightclub at one point.
0: Oh wow. And
1: I wanted to, oh, what did I want to do? I, you know, I, I tried sort of different things and I went to art school, but in the end, I sort of came back round to food because that was the thing that I found myself mostly doing and kind of thinking about day to day
0: you kind of see that reflection of it's almost this aspect that was kind of not so available in terms of indulging yourself and then that's the thing that you almost turned to and made that your trajectory um I suppose so I mean you know,
1: I grew. I was. I grew up in sort of seventy suburban, suburban Britain, and the choice of what was on offer in terms of food then, compared to now, is so different. Um, and the way I live my life compared to the way my mum l- had lived, looked after us three kids, and kind of the way she fed us is really different. I mean. Yeah, it was very much dictated by what was available in the Sainsbury's basic range when I was growing up and now we shop in markets and we can get ingredients from anywhere around the world and I get all this incredible produce from Italy and it's so kind of gorgeous and glamorous and then it was very, very, very basic. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, I certainly didn't miss it then because I didn't know it existed. So it was all, it was all fine. But, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And how would you describe yourself now?
1: In terms of...
0: In terms uh, of how you feel you've evolved as a person? Well,
1: I think, um, where, I think it came from, the way I've evolved as a person and is, comes from, I suppose, a bit of self-education in a way, because I didn't go very far with my education at school. I did my GCSEs here in Britain, and then um, I sort of tried to do A-levels, but didn't do very well at them at all. And so I think the way I ended up evolving as a person was by traveling as much as possible. Um, From when I was about 15 years old, I just Um, started going to Italy and it was when the era of the really cheap flights started. We had an airline called Go Airline and um, I would just um, I was a I I worked when I was 15 I went to Italy sort of for the first time and worked as an au pair girl for quite a well-off family who lived um, near Milan and um, I was had this, it was just before I started A-level college and I think that I have very strong memories about the food from that trip, and I think that probably had forged, you know, a path for me in a way, because it it opened up my ideas about food, and then from then on, kind of this obsession with Italy grew, and I just wanted to keep going back as much as possible, and learning more about
0: it. But at 15, whoa. At 15. It was
1: was the summer holidays. It was in between when I finished school and my GCSEs and I had this sort of long two-month summer holiday and I went and was an au pair girl for a couple of little kids in Milan. Yeah and it was amazing actually because the grandmother of the family just grew everything in the garden and so the very simple foods that wouldn't have tasted like much if they'd been from the Dainsbury's, tasted incredible. So we were eating all of this. She'd just go out with a basket and pick all of these foods every day. And I remember going in shopping in delicatessens and the really strong smell coming from the delis of all the cheeses and the fresh pasta. And it was really, you know, very, it's still really memorable, those kind of smells.
0: Your senses were just completely opened up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And since then,
1: I mean, I suppose, I th- you know, that's, that's where a lot of my feeling for food comes from. So I, 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 I've worked in Italy a lot since then, and um, uh, Naples and Rome and um, Sicily, and just traveled as much as I can, and I think that really informs the kind of what I do now and the kind of person I am now and what I like best, really.
0: I mean, that sounds beautiful to have been able to just have that as your basis and grow from there. How Your perspective was almost formed around their seasonal eating and having that that experience when you were an old pair and just that produce available right outside the front door.
1: Yeah, it was very different to the way the food I grew up with, but um, there's a sort of sensibility about the way things are done in Italy that I still think about a lot and um, think about in terms of the way I the way I work and the way I do things. There's the sort of like artistry about the way everything a lot of things are done in Italy. It's kind of hard to describe, but for example, when I was I was last in Italy, um, I went for three days to Venice, last time I went, and I stayed on Venice Lido with my little girl and my husband and in an Airbnb and walking down the road one morning or one afternoon going past the fruit and vegetable stand and they'd hung these um, cotton sheets in front of the Uh, they'd attached them to the edge of the canopy to shield the fruit and veg from the Sun hitting them and these cotton sheets were kind of really super clean like much cleaner than my sheets at home all pressed and they were these beautiful old sheets with pictures of strawberry leaves and strawberries on them and so many it was a it was a simple thing to do but there was so much more behind it the way it was looking after the fruit and vegetables it was a simple solution but done beautifully do you know what i mean sort of you it's, know someone had pressed those towels made someone had bleached them and made sure that they were really clean someone had chosen old sheets maybe old bedding that really complemented the fruit and vegetable and everything about it was beautiful and simple and there's this and i was talking to my i talked about it to my husband and he was like oh that's cuz we're in venice and it's quite posh here and i was like no that's just the way it, you, that's the kind of thinking that you get all over Italy, the supplied artistry that's or like kind of sen- sensibility, the sensitivity to, they, you know, they appreciate good food and they know how to look after it, I suppose.
0: I feel like that's the, something we need to get back to instead of operating from a place of lack, people, you know, there's so much there's so many disorders these days surrounding food. Well, in, food in and this country,
1: you'd, they'd have bought a massive fridge and stuck the stuck the ingredients in there, and then the yeah. ingredients would have been spoiled from being in the fridge. It would have taken up loads of electricity, and it would have been ugly. So this was a complete opposite solution.
0: Yeah, and it's it's like it's respecting the mm. the tools you're working with, and yeah, it's but that's because getting. they have
1: beautiful stuff that they work with. So it's yeah. it's kind of yeah. Com- it, it's sort of simplifying it, but from starting with good stuff. And I suppose that's the way I make my ice cream now, I hope.
0: I mean, yes. I have not had that that honor yet of tasting your ice cream. <laughs> but just from all the images, your beautiful book, I can't oh, wait for you. that moment to come. <laughs> um, your ice cream, your concoctions, they're they're really a reflection of something we're trying to get back to. Slow, intentional living. And whether that be in food, I mean, we see it reflected in like a lot of different industries now and like fashion, but we've, you know, we kind of have converted our way of living into simple, fast, we want it snappy, we have no patience. I mean that goes back to sticking everything in the freezer or the fridge. It's like, we don't really have intention or Anything like that towards what we're consuming, and I really like that. That's the transition we're making now.
1: Well, I just, I just think it should be. I mean, it's the transition that some of us are making. But I'm really conscious of the divide in the way people eat nowadays, and I kind of fear that it's becoming worse, and you know, it's becoming greater. Um, And I really wish that, I really hope, you know, wish that there was more you know, starting in a base level for everyone in education and schools and yeah. stuff, but everyone seems to look for solutions rather than sort of cures, if you know what I mean, like starting from scratch with good cooking instead of, uh, you know, adding extra things into the mix to cure the ills
0: yeah it's, the it's, way it's... people eat today. It's just almost like in the healthcare system, or people with their health, we're being reactive and not preventative. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. You're, would you say you're, you, you make ice cream for a living, but you also teach at the School of Artisan Food?
1: Yes, yeah, I've been teaching there for about 10 years now, which is really lovely because I just get this amazing mixture of people coming on my ice cream course, which ranges for a- Couples who bought the other couple an ice cream making session for their birthday to kind of people wanting to start their own businesses. And then in some cases, a couple of years ago, I had a guy on my course who must have been in his late 60s who was second generation Italian living in the Midlands in England. And his company, his family business had started, um, I think, I suppose, in the early 40s making ice cream in the midlands and it was his job to um they used to travel around in a horse and cart his grandmother would make the ice cream and then it was his job as a little boy to people would come out of their houses with a plate and (laughs) buy ice cream that way and he'd spoon ice cream from the back of the horse and cart onto a plate which i just couldn't believe you know that 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 was within one person's lifetime that they'd started work like that but then he, his company had got, grown really big and he was doing my course to kind of bring it back to a, list, a little to how it used to be. So all sorts. It's really fun. And we just talk about ice cream all day long, which I love. Because mm-hmm. there are so many different... Everyone has an ice cream favourite and there are so many different ways of making it and it's just an interesting subject to me.
0: Yes. But before we get into... The frozen goods. I really want to touch on your culinary journey this far and kind of backtracking, like, what has that looked like informing the way you make ice cream now? Because you, where you studied from in New York to working at Otto as well in New York, and you were yeah. a former pastry chef at St. John Bread and Wine. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so I, I love, I, yeah, I mean, like, you have so many stories, um, <laughs> and I'd love if we could delve a little deeper into that.
1: Well, I was
0: sort of, I think at the time in
1: London, I was working for a delicatessen. I spent a couple of years working for sort of different delis, literally being a ham and cheese slicer or making sandwiches and sort of skirting around food, but not really committing to anything serious and then just going off on holiday as much as I possibly could saving up and then going away and then I had um, a friend who was who won a scholarship to Columbia University an old school friend and she started sending these emails and it was very early days for email for me at least um, because this was in 2002 um, from her you know student in New York, and I was just incredibly envious of what she was doing, yeah. and dying to have an experience like that. And um, I'd been given a bit of money. My grandmother died in, I think, maybe the year before, and I just, and I had about ten thousand pounds saved. I've been given in her will, and I decided to spend it on going to this quite amazing culinary school in New York and it was it was called a chef it's called a professional chef diploma but I really did it because I wanted to be in New York and I sort of thought that afterwards I might get a job working for Jeffrey Steingarten who was a writer who wrote this amazing book that I loved where he had a big chapter about ice cream making and like, you know so I just thought this is my way of getting to him and having a great time in New York and I went and did this chef diploma, which was for about nine months. And what ended up happening was that I just had, I just loved it. I just enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed every minute and I was really good at it. I hadn't been, had that kind of feeling at school before that. I hadn't really had any success at school or been good at anything really (laughs) up to that point. And it was a huge deal for me. So, and of course, living in New York 20 years ago was amazing yes and um yeah I had the time of my life and I really I ended up by doing a stage at Otto at the end and it was the you know my way of getting into a kitchen and the course was really good because it gave me the sorts of basic skills and confidence to be able to work in a kitchen and not be completely annoying and in the way and yeah that was it was great really but I was obviously really lucky to have been able to have that experience because if I hadn't and if I hadn't I don't know I'd still be a sandwich maker somewhere you know it was really a gift having that being able to have that kind of education that I really value now yeah and it's in a way one of the reasons that I teach now as well just because you know I hope yeah, I just can't imagine if I hadn't, I mean, certainly my school before then didn't offer anything, I would have been a total failure and a dropout, you know?
0: Yeah, I remember. If I hadn't
1: had that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I still remember being in a home ec class, and it was very much how to make a sandwich. And I remember- Oh my God, yeah, yeah. it was just it, hopeless. Yeah, and it doesn't even go, I mean, it's asking for a lot, but and today you see so much ever being put into like grains and different types of grains and like there's so many different ways to even make bread and back then it's like you go to Tesco's buy the white bread you slather yeah. some some ham on there you don't know what part of the animal like kind of comes from yeah it's true
1: yeah I feel enormously privileged to have been able to spend the time I have in Italy and have you know a better understanding of food and ingredients and I think I mean I mean certainly like my home ec class was the same. It was let's make sausage rolls by buying some sausages yes. and some made pastry and then rolling them together. It's just crazy and the and the magic that comes from properly cooking and making your own bread and making your own ice cream similar like the joy you get because of seeing the change in the process, the chemical sort of change, is something you don't forget. You know, yeah,
0: it's great. I mean the way it brings people together how we connect over nourishment is there's nothing like it yeah I think there's like just a lot of alchemy to cooking working with ingredients and we have our logic and taste buds but I think that would you agree that intuition is if not the most important tool when you're in the kitchen well you have to do, I mean, with
1: ice cream making, there's things that I've sort of learned along the way that come from trial and error rather than intuition, I think. So maybe practicing, but certainly tasting all the time is really, really key to cooking. And then it comes to, you know, and I mean tasting everything, like tasting the fruits, tasting the milk. Tasting the eggs and each separate ingredient I know is delicious before it even gets made into the ice cream. Intuition, I mean, I think having a sort of a really strong interest in plants and growing informs a lot of my ice cream making. So in terms of kind of think thinking or having, perhaps having an intuition of what flavors go together. Yeah. So... I think that things that grow at the same time, I'm always kind of smelling stuff and smelling plants and I'm really interested in it and where things come from. And I really, I think that that can give you clues as to what flavours go together well. I always really remember (laughs) when I was at culinary school, um, when we had our degree sort of, uh, you know, of what was it called, like the sort of when we, graduated from culinary school having to cook this one dish for the teachers and the girl that I was working with making a dish of grilled chicken with coffee and mint sauce. Whoa. <laughs> Just thinking, wow, that's, that's such daring. a bonkers idea. I'd never have thought of that. Yeah. The flavour of grilled meat with coffee and, and mint. So, I mean, it's a brave idea, but I think the way I would approach flavours going together is more um, I mean you can say intuitive but maybe there's something more behind it, it's just like always sort of smelling stuff and things reminding me of other things and it comes from again like maybe just not knowledge but sort of a love of these things so a knowledge in that way I suppose,
0: yeah Yeah.
1: I mean it's my my passionate interest, (laughs) I'm a leaf sniffer I kind of go around
0: I entirely... always smelling
1: plants and looking at them being quite obsessed by them
0: yeah I'm, I'm right there with you and even when even when you go to like the farmer's market and you're checking the fruit or when it comes to watermelon season you're always knocking on them
1: yeah I mean like flavors like I can think of one of the recipes in my book is um wild fig and watermelon and that came from traveling in Sardinia and just seeing all of this stuff growing all over the all of these figs and amazing plants growing by the roadside and it was exactly the same season that there were tons of cheap amazing watermelons and I've been looking for a way of thickening the watermelon sorbet and giving it structure because watermelon's just like water once you blend it and the flavours just go really really well together, the kind of purple figs and the dark red watermelon juice and it just works because it reminds you of that place and that that place at a at a really certain point in time, like late summer. So it has all of those associations and feelings for me.
0: Experiential, yeah. The reason I did want to touch, um, I mean obviously Guts and Glory, very much podcast driven on like intuition, your gut instinct. And I read a piece where you had contacted the photographer for your book, Grant Cornett, before you had actually landed oh, yeah. a publishing deal or put together a book proposal. And yeah, yeah. I that, that's total gut right there. I'd love to hear kind of the backstory to that.
1: Well, I just, I'm quite a sort of slow, slow worker. I don't try and do it. I mean, I've been making the ice cream now for 10 years and other people who I've taught at the place where I teach, I've got three ice cream, there are people, out there. There are people that I've taught who have like a chain of ice cream parlours already and I'm in exactly the same place I was when I started teaching 10 years ago, just working out of my really small premises. So very glacial in the way that I approach work because I really um, sort of like waiting for the right time to do something, for when it feels right and yeah the book and the photography was a perfect example for that because I wanted to I've been wanting to write the book for years and years and years and um I'm really glad now that I didn't write it when I was sort of two years into the company because I wouldn't be I think I wouldn't be able to look at it now I'd be so mortified so instead I waited a really long time and then one day it was in January and I lived in my old flat and I Still live with my sister at the time, and um, I was reading the New York Times online, and I saw this photograph, and I, I just immediately thought after all these years of I just thought that's the that's the way I'd like my book to look if um, I ever made a book, and so I looked up the photographer's name, and his name was Grant Cornett, <laughs> which is just crazy because. Um, uh, He sounds like an ice cream already. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just loved, loved, loved his work. And my sister, you know, but he was quite, he is quite a glamorous photographer, artistic as well as quite commercial. And I thought I didn't stand a chance. And my sister just persuaded me to send him an email just to try, even though I was just an idiotic person sitting on my radiator to keep warm and thinking about making an ice cream book that hadn't been made And I sent off this email, and he was really, he just responded really quickly saying, Great, I've been looking for an opportunity to come to the UK. So, yeah, I'd definitely be up for it. And so we, that really galvanized me. So, that was in um, January or February of 2000. And um, gosh, when was it? I had just had a baby, so it was 2015. January 2015, a really long time ago now and he came in July that month, I mean that year and we just had, gosh I think it was about seven days to shoot the book and we just did it the two of us in my ice cream shed where I work so there was no publishing house attached and we just got to work together and we got along really well and I really enjoyed it. Although it was quite stressful. (laughs) And um, yeah, I have absolutely so thrilled that I was able to work with him because I love the pictures. Then we just had to find a publisher that was on the same page as us. And that was good in a way because we bought, and I also had the designer before I took it to Frith, from Studio Frith, who designed the book. So we kind of took, we took the book um, proposal to different publishers, say with, you know, those people all, attached already so in a way I got to do it my way which was really good.
0: And what was the process like in pitching the book? It was having to write a proposal
1: which was really difficult for me because I hate writing about myself so and you have to write this introduction and that was just lots of full starts and agonizing and then once I was over that bit then you have to write sort of five different recipes as sample recipes and that bit I really enjoyed and it came really easily after all of these years of procrastinating and putting it off and then once we had a deal with square peg publishers who are part of penguin random house then it was I did it all in about six weeks I just it was I guess it was the following winter after taking those pictures so I wasn't too busy at work and I had to new baby who my mom spent a lot of time looking after and i just went to reference libraries and spent about six weeks and wrote it all and loved it really enjoyed it
0: (laughs) i mean yeah the book the book is amazing um thank you and it's completely i mean you completely changed my perspective on ice cream i haven't even tasted your ice cream yet. I was just going over the recipes and (laughs) showing them to family. Well, that makes me very happy
1: because I like to think that it's the kind of book that you can enjoy reading without having to make it ice cream.
0: I really wanted to ask, what are some preconceived notions you found that, say, the everyday consumer or some of your students who aren't so familiar with ice cream making but do take your course what are what are their thoughts about ice cream and then how would you like to educate people on yeah on the entire on the potential of ice cream and what do you want them to take away from experiencing yours
1: i think i kind of see it when i'm teaching um i would say as far as preconceived ideas go, the way I see the day unfold when I teach is we talk a lot in the beginning and I give them quite a lot of information that's quite a lot to take in. And the recipes that I teach, I think you see a lot of um, recipes, especially in magazines. And I know from experience that the way I write out, you know, magazines, Food magazines and journalists like to present recipes in as simple a way as possible. And it's the same when you see people demonstrating ice cream machines for sale. In the media, ice cream journalists and um, people selling ice cream machines like to present ice cream in the very simplest way possible. So they'll say, mix a can of, you know, if you go and see ice cream maker's Uh, people doing demos of how easy they are to use very often they'll say just you know add a pot of strawberry yogurt in and a pot of cream and you just pour it into the machine and churn it and it's that simple and when you eat um, kind of freshly made ice cream straight out of an ice cream machine you can get away with making it like that in a very easy way and it is you know essentially just kind of frozen cold yogurt or frozen frozen cream and fruit and it will taste nice but then if you want to put that in the freezer and it still to be good in a week's time or something then you need to start applying a little bit of knowledge and so at this point when i'm teaching you kind of start to see people losing (laughs) losing concentration and losing energy because there is it's not it's not that it's difficult to make but there's just a little bit of there are some tips that you can apply to making it and a little bit of knowledge it's not even skill so much it's just a a few you know it's something that just takes a little bit of concentration and it really repays and so the what I see is people interested in ice cream and then they kind of you know, look over the recipes, and if you haven't approached a recipe before and have never made ice cream, then it can be a little bit like, you know, seem to have quite a few stages. But then, what you see at the end of the day, once you've poured the ice cream into the ice cream machine, and it always changes, you know, it's part of the thing that makes ice cream just still really fun to make after 10 years of doing it, because you never quite know from the mixture how it's going to be when it's ice cream. So you see them pour it into the machine and then 20 minutes later, you know, you see it turning into ice cream and that is a joy anyway. But then when you taste it and then you see people's reactions to the deliciousness of homemade ice cream, then it all sort of...
0: Comes together. Comes together
1: and it's brilliant and it's just like the most satisfying, fun thing you could make. Because there's nothing like it. You know, just having an ice cream machine in your own home and being able to eat freshly churned ice cream. It's so much fun. And it's so satisfying.
0: I feel like when you experience that for the first time, you kind of almost can't do without it.
1: (laughs) Well, what I used to do when I got my very first ice cream machine, which I got as a birthday present when I was about um, oh, I can't remember, but it must have been, God, in my early 20s, I suppose. And what I used to do was, I the first ice cream book I bought with recipes is a really, really good book um, by Ivan, not Ivan Day, by Robin Weir. It's a really comprehensive book about the chemistry of ice cream, and it has loads of recipes. And... So I used to work my way through that and I'd buy, my ice cream machine only churned a litre at a time and um, then it sort of, the motor couldn't handle it, so it conked out after that. So I'd go, there was a Polish delicatessen near me where they sold these really big, flat um, rectangular wafers, these huge sheets of wafer. So I'd make a litre of one flavour of ice cream and spread it out on top of a wafer and then freeze it and then the next day I'd make a litre of a different flavour that was maybe a complementary flavour and then I'd spread that out on top of the wafer and then I'd sandwich it with another wafer and then cut them up into little bars and wrap them up in wax paper. And so in my freezer, all of my freezer drawers were just stuffed with all of these ice cream bars as a way of kind of practising making them. And it was really fun because I always had these sort of ice cream sandwiches to give people whenever they came round to our flat. And it was really nice being. I love being able to serve two complementary flavors together like that that you've chosen. So it would be things like, um, oh, what did, what was it like? A kind of, I remember making several orange ice cream and sandwiching it with like a date, like a date or a prune sorbet or something like that. Oh, wow. Just that sort of combo. It's a really fun way of making ice cream. Anyway
0: your refrigerator, the freezer, it can never be big enough. You mm. always kind of... There's just so many recipes. And you oh, you yeah. need
1: lots of friends to come and eat it as yes. well. Yes!
0: <laughs> the a big family, big group of friends. You seem to... Yeah, I always find myself in the kitchen, and there's so many things I want to try out, and oh, as one yeah. person, you just can't eat all of it. <laughs> your ice cream's they in they embody i'd say the entire essence of the ingredients because you're working with the pits and leaves and skins you're creating products that it's it's almost like you're capturing the lifespan of that ingredient at the seasons and you're invoking an entirely new experience for us so I want to touch on with regards to our current climate and especially with the depletion of our soils and how nutrient dense they are and the need to support local agriculture. How do you go about sourcing your ingredients? Um,
1: Well, I've over years sort of built up relationships with um, people and farms um, that I trust and I would say. You know, I can't in every in every case of everything I use, but certainly the stuff from Italy, most of the produce from Italy that I get, um, especially the citrus in the winter, is from one of two farms, and it doesn't come direct to me. I get it through um, a company, an amazing company called Puntarelli, who are near me in Spar Terminus, who are sort of um, this Russian company at this Russian couple called Elena and Andre who have a fruit and vegetable stall in Bermondsey and they get a lot of their stuff from these two farms in Puglia and in Sicily. And it comes direct to them so it doesn't go through the the main, it bypasses the main markets in Italy which are in Milan and then another one south of Rome. And it's really stressful for them because, you know, it travels by land and sometimes there are delays and, that, and there's all this amazing produce in the back of the van coming from the farm and it can go off. But, you know, so there's all these <laughs> challenges that they have to face. But then they get this beautiful stuff, which is really minimally treated. And they've been to the farm and they have a relationship with the people that own them. So they trust them. And I trust Elena and Andre to choose the right stuff. And they work. You know, they actually smell the fruits for me and they kind of pick out stuff that they think I'll really like and then otherwise I've got amazing soft fruit farms near me in Kent and I've got my dairy in Sussex um, called Northiam Dairy who are a small family owned local dairy where the cows, it's not organic milk but the cows are grass fed and it's in beautiful countryside and it's small, it's not kind of a huge place so Wherever possible, and again, the eggs come from a lovely farm in um, uh, the, what is it called, the Cotswolds, so, um, yeah, sort of knowing where everything comes from is really important to me, wherever possible, and it just comes from, you know, I would really say, if possible, visit the actual place where your product is being made and use as few middlemen as you can, i try and get directly from the source
0: yeah
1: and do you have any tips
0: or and
1: but the thing the other thing about that is you're kind of making a product that tastes unique it's not this sort of global um, product that could be recreated all over the world and so much of what's made today is made with that aim in mind that it can be copied and recreated and available everywhere and I'm kind of going for the opposite effect of trying to make something that's very local and tastes of a place as well. And, you know, every batch I make tastes different. So it's trying, it's the opposite of standardization, I suppose.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: so every batch of lemon ice cream I make tastes different.
0: Stepping away you know, from...
1: Different varieties grow throughout the year, so they keep getting replaced. And I like those differences.
0: It's just stepping away from that fast fashion model. Mm,
1: Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is, especially about ice cream is one of the things I love so much whenever I travel is I'll go and find the local ice cream shops and I love those little specialities. and there's so many different ways that you can make it and I love the differences in ice cream. You know, people always, I've been asked to make best of lists of ice cream before and It's ridiculous, because there's so many different types, and almost every culture has a different way of making ice cream as well. So the way I make it is just one way, but I really celebrate and enjoy all the different ways that it's made, because they all say something about, there's always a reason for it, and they always say something about the agriculture of the place where you are, or the culture.
0: Do you have any tips or tricks for the average consumer or even things that like we need to look out for when trying to source locally? Or even yeah, for absolutely. those who you
1: is- know you follow your nose, so you're smelling stuff and tasting and if it smells really good, that's the first thing. And then otherwise as far as tips ice cream making, you know, my specialty, I suppose is fruit ice creams which you don't get so much in Italy where it's usually a cream base or a sorbet, a sorbetto. But I really love fruit ice creams where you're mixing the two together. And certainly when you're doing that, they're a real, to get the maximum flavor, you've always got to be aware of the sweetness and the acidity and trying to pull as much flavour out of the fruit as possible. So usually with raw fruits I will macerate them overnight and I'll age the custard overnight but I'll do that separately so you don't mix the fruit into the custard part of the ice cream until they've both been in the fridge separately overnight macerating to pull, which means adding sugar and acid to pull the flavour out of the fruit because a lot of the aroma in fruit is in the peels And then you kind of get the colour out and more juice out. And then you'll add that to the cold, thick custard cream and whiz them both together and then sieve them. And then you pour that into a machine and you get much brighter flavour and a more intense flavour. And you get a much brighter colour as well when you're making ice creams. So little tips like that help you get the best flavour out of it. And then using um, herbs as well, maybe quite unusual herbs. Like at the moment, I'm doing a white peach and tarragon ice cream, and they're beautiful peaches. But it's not midsummer yet, so they're not as flavoursome as they will be. So adding tarragon to the custard and infusing that in the custard is a way of adding flavour, and it really complements the white peach. It just tastes so delicious.
0: I mean, hearing all of this, I'm almost, I'm just I'm just like you know what? After the sun, I need to have breakfast for lunch again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And make that an ice cream breakfast. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's such fun making ice cream. It's really, you know, I really recommend trying it.
0: And I feel like it's also great for children and bringing people together over a medium that we, you know, just haven't really implemented in our domestic way of living. I hope that changes. Mm. Um, but I also read that breakfast ice cream is something that you give your little girl as well
1: um um, not so much in London (laughs) it must be admitted because but it's something that whenever we go away I just think well well, my sister lives in Rome and we went to visit her last June and it was incredibly hot and we just go to the cafe near where I used to work when I lived in um and worked in Rome and start every day with ice cream, and it was brilliant. <laughs> oh, wow. It was just, like, it's so lovely, and it kind of suits the climate because it's just so hot. You just need a little energy burst, some whipped cream and some lemon granita, and, yeah, it was perfect. And a brioche, warm brioche and a oh, coffee. Oh,
0: wow.
1: It's the dream. Yeah. But certainly, like, I think, I mean, like, the ice ice cream, the way that I like to make it, I really think of as a nutritional, a nutritious food, And I don't have any qualms in giving it to kids in the slightest. Like, it's not a sort of, you know, it's just um, minimally processed, unrefined sugar, about 50% fresh, usually raw fruit, and milk and cream and organic eggs. It's like really good, it's all good stuff, nothing else.
0: Yeah. Actually, in touching on that, how, because I know that, we're seeing so, so many different health issues related to people's ever-growing awareness around gut and microbiome and the gut-brain connection. And would you, do you have any rec- ice cream recipes that you'd say would be good for someone who has a lot of inflammation in the body or even, even kind of going a little, I don't know, like a little more alchemical where it's, you want a brain boost or an energy boost? I would, let me think. Um,
1: I've got a couple of recipes which, where you don't use sugar at all, you use um, just the fruits, natural sugar, and you use dry, dried fruit. So I've got one for um, an apricot and chamomile sorbet, and then another for prune and earl grey tea sorbet, where you just soak the fruit in, either chamomile tea or earl grey tea and it's so rich in natural sugars you just whiz it up and you can pour it straight into an ice cream machine so that's sort of a very gentle sorbet and you can certainly add for acidity a bit of apple cider vinegar and that could probably be beneficial to sort of gut health but really um i think that the ice creams are especially well-balanced themselves in a way, in terms of food. And I think because they're made of these sort of minimally processed ingredients, they're sort of balanced in terms of fibre and fat. And it's your body understands what it's eating and it knows when it's had enough. It's not like using these strange sugars where... They have different sweetness power compared to normal sugar. And I mean, I remember when I was little, when I went to art school, I started off going to art school and going to New York for the first time as part of an art school trip with my sister. And, you know, going into these delis and just having this incredible choice of all of these massive tubs of ice cream and they'd all be fat free and all these incredible flavors and me and my sister would just be so excited (laughs) and we'd start every day by getting a huge tub of ice cream each and eating it on the subway to go wherever we were going that day but at the same time you know we're like oh you know it's that kind of fat-free ice cream joke in like the fat-free yogurt frozen yogurt in Seinfeld episode of being so you know excited we were like yeah yay, we can eat the whole tub but you sort of, there's always going to be a payoff. So instead of eating fat you're eating, they're just adding tons of sugar to it to compensate for the lack of flavor and texture in the fat. And you kind of just carry on eating it because you're looking for flavor and satisfaction. So you end up eating a whole tub of ice cream instead of a scoop of delicious ice cream, which is satisfying and feels good.
0: And we shouldn't, this also goes back to people kind of... Really getting back to a place where we shouldn't be scared of fat. We our bodies need fat. Um, we need we need sugar. Our bodies process it all differently. But it's just balance.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. It's just a little bit, and it's where the flavor is. And if you're, I would much rather have a scoop of a nice, nutritious, natural ice cream for pudding instead of tons of weird stuff that has crazy amounts of sugar in or weird oils or. I feel like it in a funny way it took a lot of food education to get to that point and it's not something that you find being pushed as a solution to health problems these days because it's not a solution that's going to make anyone any money so huge the huge food corporations with the power aren't selling that as a solution whereas they are selling you know soy milk or coconut oil or you know agave or you know like all of these other things because that's a product that you can sell this is just (laughs) it's not as buzzwordy it's just i you know the same as the food used to be made when before people had health problems really
0: i feel like it's just it's also nice and easy on the digestion for those who may be suffering from irritable bowel syndrome as well which is so prevalent these days
1: Uh. um well one one ice cream that it, I have been making a lot of recently which is good as well is sheep's milk ice cream and sheep's milk if you can get hold of it is a' is like the perfect milk for ice cream making and I know that some people who are intolerant to cow's milk and dairy can drink sheep's milk and it has it's really high in protein compared to cow's milk so it gives the ice cream a really good structure and it's delicious so mm.
0: are trying to eat more seasonally and I I know that when I talk to my grandparents to them a tomato is a tomato it doesn't really represent the entire flavor spectrum that you could potentially tap into and I mean it could be a killer pizza sauce yeah but we could pickle it we can make a jam out of it and you also use it in ice cream so i feel like if we kind of know a little bit more on maceration and combinations or steeping it would make eating seasonally a lot more exciting what are your kind of favorite go-to's in terms of yeah combinations brewing techniques
1: well i think eating seasonally is exciting because if if you can eat if you do it the other way around and you can eat and anything's available to you at any time ever then where's the fun at all you know instead of um eating seasonally you it's like a huge like for me at the moment making ice cream it's suddenly incredible because the stone fruits are coming in and so i've got The first good strawberries and the, you know, the sugar difference in the quality, the difference in the quality of the product when you eat seasonally is absolutely huge. You know, if you make a strawberry ice cream out of strawberries in March and if you make a strawberry ice cream out of strawberries in late June, the quality of the ice cream will be so much better because the fruit is so much, has so many more natural sugars in it which provide flavor and they help the texture of the ice cream. So it's like, you know, a kind of non-brainer. And it's really great because you've had to wait for it. So it's a huge treat as well to have like strawberry ice cream for the first time in June.
0: Your little girl, she's growing up with this. Have you seen this take form in her perspective with regards to food? Um,
1: absolutely. She's an absolute sucker for what every single human is which is advertising and packaging, and she thinks that, you know, she likes my ice cream, but it's, you know, when we don't shop in supermarkets that much, or hardly ever at all, actually, but um, so she, we just do a kind of market shop every week, and so when she goes into a supermarket, she's just dazzled by the packaging, which is completely natural, because that's what it's designed to do, and she wants... You know, she just picks up all the stuff and she's like, I want this. And it could be any old, like, dried-up old crop of horrible old biscuit inside. But if it's got the picture on the outside. So um, she's by no means the perfect eater because she wants to eat that stuff. She doesn't want to eat the homemade food. It's, it's difficult. And also kids are very conservative eaters. So, you know, she really doesn't. She wants the plain plain foods, you know, she'd be really happy with noodles, plain noodles every day for the <gasps> rest of her life.
0: What's her attitude towards going to the market? Is it is it kind of like a drag or is she excited or is she just kind of... The thing about
1: shopping in a market is it's
0: just so
1: sociable compared to so- shopping in a supermarket. Funnily yeah. enough, I was working last weekend, so we couldn't do our usual Saturday shop in Bermondsey at Spa Terminus where I get my weeks shopping. And so we did a supermarket shop instead on Sunday, which is like probably one of the first times in Jean's life that we've done that. And she's nearly five and I thought it would be really fun and it wasn't, it was really depressing and really boring and compared to the market where we see the same people every week because it's you know only open for a few hours on Saturday morning so you get the same people you know all the people you're buying from you just have conversations with people you're running around you're tasting things and this isn't a kind of fancy food market it's quite regular and it's you know it's a huge social thing every week it's lovely we see the other kids that are growing up at the same time as her. She's got people to play with. It's massive. And you have now the way the supermarkets are designed, you barely need to even speak to the person that you're paying for the food from because you just put your card into a machine at the end. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you can. I'm not saying it, you don't have people that you shop from and say hello to, but it's like just a huge difference.
0: Yeah. I mean, the cashier, she's, she's, Processing people all all day. She's not going to necessarily be the most perkiest of people to interact with, and it's just monotonous. Just I'm robots.
1: Sure there's, there's there's lovely cashiers, but the there isn't a huge deal of love in the whole process of shopping yeah. from a supermarket, and um, you don't get that seasonality, and so it must get really boring. <laughs> yeah, really quickly. Yeah. I so you just got the kind of same stuff on offer every week. So you shop in a really different way as well. When you shop in a market, you don't know what you're going to make. And then you might be presented with something new that you haven't seen the week before and decide to cook that this week.
0: Yes. Yeah, I can't imagine my week without the farmer's markets.
1: Yeah. and But these didn't exist when I was little. It's a really new thing for London. They just didn't. So it's amazing what we've got now. And I've got another great market on Sundays in Brixton which is fantastic, which is just farms bringing their stuff in, and it's really jolly. It's not expensive. It's cheaper than the supermarkets, and it's great. So, yeah, there's good stuff to be had for sure, much more of a connection with farmers and people who are making the food if you want to make it. That's a bit weird, disjointed sentence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's your little girl called? Jean. When she sees all the branding, brandy makes the world go round and she's just dazzled, how do you kind of react to that? Do you
1: I'm a total mean mummy and just like, no, no you know. Yeah. But then when we go on holiday, she gets to choose from you know, those sort of wolves or Al Gida, the big posters of all the different ice creams. Yeah. Which is the best thing ever. And I would never deny her that, but I still can't help read the ingredients on the packet afterwards and just be completely disgusted with the crap that people are given to eat and it's presented as ice cream and there's like very very hardly ever it's really hard to find an ice cream in italy at least like or i think um they're called San montana they're big ice cream companies and they're all just made of oil and dry milk powder and water and loads of sugar it's disgusting like really difficult to find an ice cream that's even got milk as an ingredient and she loves it
0: <laughs> it's made to get you hooked
1: mm, yeah it is for sure and it kind of also increases your increases your sense or decreases your sensitivity to sugar yeah so everything is just with instead of flavor you're getting texture and sweetness and so you're always get. And it is really addictive, so you're always going to think that natural foods kind of blander because you lose that sensitivity to taste. Yeah. It's really messed up.
0: So I I do feel like it's easy to get really overwhelmed and it is depressing, but at the same time, there's so many amazing people and so many amazing initiatives and projects happening.
1: I have a lot of sympathy for people because it's my job food, so... I have I make it important to shop in markets because it's part of my job and, and to have these relationships with food makers but certainly like it's people lead really busy lives nowadays and it's time consuming and it takes time and effort and people don't have the time so it is really difficult as well I mean it's out there but you need to have a bit of time to be able to
0: Yeah it's definitely shop that way you have to dedicate to, like, the ritual, but I feel like it's also a privilege.
1: exactly, a ritual. Once it's a ritual, then, yeah.
0: Yeah, and for many, the education isn't there, and the financial side of things can be hard as well. And so say, well, do you have any advice for those who don't necessarily have the means to go to local farmers' markets or to be sourcing locally and just low budget shopping at the grocery store is all they can manage there's um well
1: I would say that there's a there's a kind of recipe I suppose that I teach when I'm doing my ice cream teaching which is called no churn ice cream where you can make ice cream in a bag like a little plastic bag that you put into a bag of ice and salt And you don't need an ice cream machine, and you don't cook anything. And I always teach this as part of my um, day's course. And you can just, you know, in in a way, you're doing what they're sort of demonstrating when they're trying to sell ice cream machines of how easy ice cream can be to make. But it's an ice cream that you eat instantly rather than freezing. And you can just, in a jar, mix together some milk and some cream and then sweeten it to taste with whatever you want, golden syrup or honey or... Um, brown sugar and a little bit of vanilla essence and you just mix that together and you pour it into a plastic bag and tie a knot, a really tight knot around the plastic bag and then you put that into a bigger bag, plastic bag that has ice cubes and salt, so you want um, 8 parts ice to 3 parts rock salt and then you just shake it for 5 minutes and then you take your little plastic bag of ice cream mix out, rinse the salt off really quickly under the tap snip the corner off and squeeze it out and you've got delicious ice cream it takes five minutes (laughs) and like i mean apart from the cost of the bag of ice maybe it's pennies because it's just a little bit of i mean you can even make it with all milk and sugar so that would be the absolute cheapest and simplest and it's really fun for kids and it's still going to be better quality than most of the stuff you can buy
0: and what sugar would you advise on using I'd
1: use a, like a muscovado sugar because that's the most flavoursome, and I would try and use a nice organic milk and a little bit of cream.
0: I want to know what the weirdest frozen concoction you've come up with. Oh gosh.
1: <laughs> um. Oh God, I can never remember. I made a terrible ice cream once where I made a pea pod ice cream, but you have to, which can be delicious, but you have to use the peas really quickly because they're so fresh. So I blanched the peas in their pods in the milk, and the pods flavor the milk, and then you take the peas out and you blend them into the ice cream. But I didn't have time to do it, so I did the stage but I blanched the peas and then I refrigerated them. For a day before adding them to the milk, and they fermented, (laughs) and they made this when I blended them into the milk. They kind of turned pureed into this slightly yellowing pea puree that tasted of cheese. (laughs) That was maybe the worst disaster. It tasted like cheesy peas ice cream. It was disgusting.
0: And what's Um, the biggest? Sorry, the biggest. The biggest yeah the win like something that you thought oh, might be a little mm, but kind of blew you away
1: oh god I can't think now or maybe the one that we've made really recently which is called bunch of herbs ice cream so it was um it was just everything I was in Italy at um, my my friends I, I have a pig farm in Italy and I was staying with them and on the way home just went round their garden snipping honeysuckle rose petals, fennel fronds, lemon verbena mint, like all herbs from their garden, just everything edible and I bought it home in a little bag and then I had some really good sheep's milk I could use and I made a really simple milk ice cream and, and infused all of these herbs into it and I wasn't quite sure, and it's now one of my most popular ice creams. It's really, really good.
0: I feel like herbs are really entering my entire pantry. is stocked to the brim with, like, herbs. I remember having licorice ice cream for the first time, and it was just mind-blowing.
1: Oh, delicious. Yeah, that was one I used to make at St. John with pear tart tatin, pear upside-down tart and licorice ice cream.
0: Mm-mm. what is one ingredient that hasn't quite worked out yet but you're like this is i'm gonna make it a thing it's gonna be ice cream one day
1: i possibly persimmon i really love persimmon or khaki fruit and one of my favorite puddings is like i had have a friend who's a really great chef called davo cook and he is australian and he um, worked in a restaurant I loved, and used to serve for pudding, just a huge a plate with whipped cream, or, or in a big pile on the plate, and then he would squeeze just ripe persimmon all over the top. And when persimmon are ripe, they look like this kind of glowing orange jelly, and you just eat, and they're really sweet, and you eat them with the cream, and it's delicious. And I've tried making ice cream so many times with persimmon, and it's just that its qualities just don't come through with ice cream at all and it's really frustrating because they don't have very much flavor their qualities are mostly in the texture and in sweetness and you just can't get that in an ice cream so that's my little I'm waiting to find a way of making a delicious persimmon ice cream somehow
0: (laughs) and what remains a constant favorite
1: peach ice cream it's so good I love it because they have a really good texture and then, but they and then they have this aroma in the skin as well but I don't like eating peaches that much because I always get you know you get peach fuzz on your nose yeah. which stings a little bit so it's a way of getting the smell and the aroma and the taste of a peach in this really gorgeous textured ice cream mm.
0: you could give an example of a time in your life where it was guts versus logic, and you went with your gut. I mean, I feel like your whole trajectory this far has kind of been very gutsy, but... I would, I would
1: say there's like a few times when I've just been told by people that I can't do it. Like when I was told by the Italian guy that I'd never learned how to make ice cream. And <laughs> it's just really annoying. And then when I first bought my ice cream machines, I was told I couldn't use them to make ice cream the way I wanted, because they were just for, like, it's just, I, so I would say when people say you can't do things, that's those are the times. It's really annoying to be told you can't do something, especially by a man, and um, possibly giving me the push to prove them wrong, I hope.
0: I mean, you definitely have. This is Kitty Travers,
1: Guts and Glory, signing off.
0: This was Freshly Churned with Kitty Travers. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing, or again, touch to be featured in the podcast. Released every other Monday. Thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.